0: how's it going man oh it's going well how are you i am great i'm going camping this weekend
1: sweet uh, it's gonna be hot but uh you know we'll survive yeah it's gonna it's supposed to be 100 degrees today here in minnesota so <laughs> Oof. you yeah. guys get the extremes we do it's like yeah. uh we get the coldest of cold and the warmest i think we might hold records in the continental u.s for the biggest range of temperatures throughout the year so wow <laughs> well you get
0: to practice your um effective dressing
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Lots of storage needed for clothing types. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I never needed like half a closet for jackets until moving out here. So Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. I
1: hear you. Yeah. Where
0: are you going camping? We are going uh, up in the White Mountains in New Hampshire. Mm, Sounds beautiful. So we're trying this new thing. It's called we found this service called Hip Camp, which is like Airbnb for campsites. So it's private property that people rent out for camping. And so we're going to basically somebody's farm near a river.
1: So we'll see how that goes. Very cool. I'm uh, taking a trip in a few weeks to the Boundary Waters in Minnesota. You get dropped off at a certain point, and then you uh, take canoes, and you go out on lakes, and... So I think you spend most of the day on a lake, and then you have to portage from time to time, which is basically like pick up all your stuff and haul your canoe overland to another lake. Mm-hmm. And I'm going with a group of experienced people. I- I've never done anything that intense before, so I'm trusting my fellow uh, campers are going to guide the way. <laughs> I, yeah, that's that's smart to do it with some people that know what's up first. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's so many little like like everything. There's just so many little tricks and mm-hmm. ways of making your life a little bit better. Yeah trying to learn from their experience last year on what they would have done differently i bought like one of those life straw things so that you can just like dunk it in a lake and it'll filter the water and you can have fresh water anytime so yeah my like newbie
0: camping tip that you might not know is you probably do now but is uh, a headlamp is worth its weight in gold
1: hmm interesting
0: because people think you know you can just bring a flashlight and that's true but then you've lost a hand and two hands is so much better than one hand and so being able to strap it on your head and then just have it go like have the light go wherever you look is like a game changer
1: okay i'll pick up one of those because i was just buying some gear yesterday and i bought a flashlight i was like i think i need one of these but then i didn't consider the headlight so maybe i'll do that too yeah give it a shot and they're not even expensive yeah 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 highly recommended cool cool so how's business uh business is, is going Last time we talked, um, I was hoping to get some mock-ups done, ready to present to people on my list and get some feedback. And those were lofty goals, I think, because once I started getting into it, I I spent a lot of time this week working on mockups. And so I have a big giant sketch file going with a bunch of different just phases, basically, of user interaction to try to demonstrate what it's like to create messages and level for them to flow into your inbox, for you to reply to them. And how does the inbox state change over time as, as more messages flow in? I got some good work done on that, but I think what What I realized was that it kind of generated more questions than answers as I was building them. I feel like I need more answers before I'm actually ready to start showing them to people. You know, I started basically from scratch empty groups, empty inbox. Someone creates their first message. What happens? It, you know, shows up in the group. And then if you're subscribed to that group, it shows up somewhere in your inbox. And then if someone mentions you, then that shows up higher in your inbox in terms of priority. So that appears above the other one. And then say you get five more mentions and 10 more off-topic messages or messages that aren't particularly targeted at you and then you get more messages in different groups and just kind of knowing how slack works like if if people enjoy using the tool then they feel free to post messages without composing them like an email like it's more of a kind of a chattier protocol and i suspect that's how level will work i'm faced with the question of like how to keep this inbox manageable and i think one of the important things to demonstrate through this process of building mock-ups is to prove to people that i've thought of a way for the level inbox not to devolve into sort of an email inbox where it's so messy and noisy that you just need to clear it out you know in mass all the time totally yeah and it's an unsorted list So working on how to group messages together logically and how to roll up things so that, you know, maybe you see like a a block of messages. that says like recent activity in the engineering group and the most important messages are surfaced at the top. And then you can maybe expand to look further and you can dismiss certain blocks all at one time. If I think like you'll probably just want to peruse over these messages and then, you know, dismiss them all at once instead of like going through and, you know, archive, archive, archive. I'm starting to get better answers, I think, about how things should be structured, but it's it's been just a, a more in-depth process than I was imagining. And just one of my takeaways is like solutions in your head are always way simpler than they actually are when you start putting them into pixels or into HTML. You picture like, oh yeah, this inbox is totally gonna be great. Like it's gonna be way better than email because I'm gonna group things logically and just in that thought process i'm glossing over so many minute details that <laughs> that you're forced to make concrete once you start actually building totally i saw a great tweet yesterday that said execution is where ideas go
0: to die yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is the negative take on that but but yeah right i think the 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 gist is
1: kind of aligned yeah And this is I think this is where the real work happens. We can all just sort of sit back and ponder how bad Slack is and how much better it could be. But actually getting to the nitty gritty and and implementing that solution is where uh, it's where the money's made. And if you can do it, good. If not, then it's going to fail. So how do you feel about it? My morale has been up and down this week. When I started building out these flows, I was like, okay, I'm going to knock these out maybe a day or two. I don't want to spend too much time on them. That's been my fear is like wasting too much time in a medium that's not actual HTML and real code. Because like I feel like getting into the final medium quickly is important uh, for you not to waste too much time because it's hard to know how something's actually going to feel until it's in its final medium. I've already been sort of skeptical of like, I want to spend the minimum amount of time possible in this stage of building mockups. And so it was a little bit uh, frustrating at first when I was you know starting to build some of these screens and realizing that... This is not going to be as easy as I thought, and I may end up spending a couple of weeks on this, and that's going to be frustrating. I've been sort of balancing my time between, you know, working on some stuff, pushing some pixels in Sketch, and then marinating on it. And while I'm doing that, I flip over and I'm just building, I'm writing code on things that I know will need to be in the product, regardless of what feedback these mockups yield. That's really important for me is feeling like I'm still like making progress on the actual code base, because... I started thinking I started looking out at the year like I've gotten asked a few times so when do you think your MVP will be ready and I'm like well I hope by fall but it can't be too late in the fall or else it'll bump up into that Thanksgiving Christmas time which is dead zone for all SaaS. and then that pushes you into the next year and I'm like the thought of not launching anything until next year just sounds terrible but I mean there's not much time left if you think about it um, in terms of like the SaaS buying cycle so
0: yeah for sure.
1: Wow. Now, now I'm worried too. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to be all doom and gloom. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's okay. It's good. That's, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good point. Yeah. It's like that doldrums at the end
1: of the year. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. A couple of days ago, I was like, oh man, this is kind of a slog. And I talked about this before too, that I've, you know, been spending a fair amount of time thinking about what interesting things to share on Twitter to, to keep people interested. And Continue growing that following. And I'm always in the back of my head like, when should I record my next screencast? I haven't done one in a long time now. When should I write my next blog post? I'm dealing with a lot of things competing for my headspace right now. And I, a lot of these things are super important, but also distracting from making real concrete progress on the MVP. I need to figure out the most important things to be focusing on and just try to get really laser focused on the few most important things. Uh, to be working on right now that prioritization
0: is the number one thing yeah it's not even really how fast you're going it's are you working on the things that are actually going to make the difference yep
1: and if it means that i don't launch anything until next year like that may be a reality that i have to accept but still like I, i need to make sure that i'm not you know spending a bunch of time on things that yield very little and make sure that equation is all in balance i guess
0: yeah I'm thinking back to that podcast that Rob cut together of you guys building Drip in the early days, and if I
1: remember, it was about a year before there were people in there much, right? Well, so yeah, we we broke ground in December, and then by March or April, we were trying to get Ruben from BidSketch onboarded. But at that point, it was like very, it was very simple; like there wasn't a whole lot of functionality built in, and fortunately with drip we started with pretty small ambitions we weren't trying to be marketing automation at that point it was just like you know carve out a little piece of mailchimp and be better at that and so and we were even integrating with mailchimp so it was like hey you could just use drip for this part and then funnel them into mailchimp so i mean that was much more achievable i think in a in a few months time span but even that proved to not be enough for him and we kind of Kept building, kept building, and then we started onboarding people more in the summer. So it was it was at least six months before we started like early access, um, mm-hmm. kind of alpha stuff. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's a it's a slow process. It is. It is.
1: It, yeah. yeah. And you were probably
0: trying your best to get it done quickly and get to that point where people were actually in it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I started out like um, you know, I was a contractor for Rob and he was paying me half time to work on Drip and half time to work on HitTail. As soon as we realized like this is there's a lot of potential here, I flipped over to to full time on it, but I mean, I had the advantage of like that was all I did during those 20 hours and then as soon as I flipped to full time, I was basically just writing code on Drip all day long 40 hours a week. So now I'm now that I'm in the solo founder mode like if i do that things will things will not go well i need to keep the keep the marketing juices flowing too Um, totally yeah gotta wear all the hats yeah it's where i envy your your position a little bit uh totally yeah i feel
0: very (laughs) lucky honestly
1: Uh, well good update yeah so that's that's what i've got going
0: on what how about you a few things. Uh, so one is, uh, I finally crossed ten thousand followers on Twitter, which is exciting for me. I noticed that it go, when right. it goes from the concrete four digits to just ten k, ten k, yeah, Good exactly. I graduated the k's. Although now it's like, <laughs> oh man, now I need like a hundred followers to even update that number. <laughs> yeah. But that's all right. So I, I, I've been stealing the you know Adam Wathin, Steve Shoger, be useful on the internet, tweet tips thing and i started that just about 3 weeks ago and i went from being basically flat i was at like 9900 followers for probably many months like maybe maybe even 10 months or something just over the last 30 days i've added like 130 followers and like that that number that happens per day is going up a lot it works you know tweet useful things and people want to follow you go figure you're also up a lot too i noticed
1: it's been working well for me yeah i was i think i'm up like several hundred a month is and it's each month i'm adding more than the previous month and not necessarily like I'm kind of keeping a steady stream of these going. And I've been I played around a little bit, too, with like, what if I posted three in one day? Does that provide the same amount of lift as one good one in a day? And I, I'm still trying to figure out exactly how Twitter's feed algorithms are working. But I think if there's like if there's one tweet that's seeming to get a lot of lift and then you post another one, that second one never gets nearly as much lift as the first one so i'm wondering if they look at what you've posted recently and the one that's getting spread around the most they they kind of inject that one in people's feeds and let the other one not have as much spotlight yeah Um, that sounds likely yeah so trying to figure that out a little bit like what's the right cadence and i want to basically push it as providing as much as possible without like diminishing without reaching that point of diminishing returns you know yeah that's something i'm trying to figure out is the ratio where it's like i want to tweet tips that are useful and that's cool but i also like want there to be some personality yeah you don't want to turn it into like just a machine like of of generated tips yeah
0: yeah providing value and being useful is great but also like there's opportunity to kind of build something of a relationship and have people know what's going on in your life and whatnot and i think that's kind of nice too so trying to figure out what that what that looks like i'm happy that the general approach is working the number is it's funny because like it's a social media number and it's clearly a vanity metric and all that but also it's sort of the broadest point of the funnel of people kind of coming into my world like i said it's on my kpi dashboard and i was thinking about pulling it off but there are a number of useful things about it where it's like it's it is people coming into my world and you know slowly funneling into other things probably it's kind of a nice social indicator where like someone hits the tuple landing page, let's say, and clicks through on my name, We're like, "Oh, okay, this guy is probably legit." You know, like for some some definition of legit, it's not worth to me like optimizing a ton, but I think putting a little effort into it. Which honestly, the tweet tips are not a ton of work, and
1: so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep doing that. Yeah, I usually spend I spend like a few minutes in the morning thinking about like what would be something interesting, and sometimes I come up with three or four things that I just drop them in a text doc and then try to restrain myself from. Posting them all at once. (laughs) I think there's also something to be said for followers that are gained through this avenue. Like I'm amazed by how much engagement Adam gets from his audience on when he tweets stuff and when he talks about his courses and stuff. And I think a large part of that is that these followers were gained because they were interested in the knowledge that he was sharing, and not because you know he did the follow back game where he just followed a bunch of people and people followed him back, or just. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to obtain followers that are not uh, genuine or not people that aren't really interested in what you're talking about. So I think there's something to be said for these because it's it's not just a number. These are people who they clicked follow because they like the stuff you're talking about. They're getting value from it. And I feel like they're more likely to engage when you when you do subtle promotion or less subtle promotion of what of your product, you know? Yep, (laughs) totally.
0: Yeah. So that's going pretty well. Can keep doing that. Launched the Code Quality Challenge signups this week. Uh, 100% of the people on this podcast uh, signed up for it. <laughs> I guess 50%, I'm technically, I don't know. I saw you I saw you in there. You're contractually obligated to participate. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is cool. I like that. <laughs> I launched it on Monday. It's Friday now. We're at 780 signups for the next cohort, which is uh, pretty nice. It's pretty legit. It's good to be growing those lists and bringing people into the world and uh, have some cool stuff. Plan for this one, which I'm excited about. It's going to a lot of it is like the existing content, but I'm writing new content. We're updating some old stuff. I have someone uh, volunteered to help out. I won't mention him by name yet, but he was like, "Hey, can I help with the next cohort?" He said this a few months ago, and so I reached out to him. So yeah, things are things are going well. I have an unfortunate vacation timing where the second week of the challenge, I'm on a cruise, and so <laughs> okay. I went and bought. I looked at the internet packages for the from the ship and uh 250 minutes of internet access is 105 dollars oh my gosh (laughs) so i just spent maybe the most i've ever spent for internet access uh to buy that and that's if you buy it ahead of time it's more on the ship it's like satellite internet or something totally it's going to be like garbage internet for sure yeah Yeah. but i just want to make sure i can get like hop in the forum check in interact with people i think i'm going to have uh somebody else sending out the actual things for those days but i want to be available so so that's happening I also launched a private podcast this week. I used Briefs, which is that podcasting service I built a couple years ago with Chris, uh, which is perfect for this because it's like a really low ceremony way to publish really short podcast episodes. In fact, they can't even be over three minutes. So I did that and uh, sent it out to our alpha people. I got an email from one of the people that had purchased for the alpha and he was like, hey, like, do you have an idea when like this thing will happen? And I was like, I hate that he has to ask this. The information needs to flow the other way. And so I I spun this up and
1: um, yeah. Is this sort of in lieu of sending out like email updates to the list? Is it just Exactly. Like a, yeah. That's, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. We'll, we'll see if it works for people. Like if, if some mm-hmm. people really want email, I,
0: I would probably do it. But I like that it's so much faster. Yeah. I can kind of just like dictate one
1: real fast and then like it's it's out in the world. Interesting. So we'll see. I like that idea. I, I've been trying to think of what are some other perks of being on the list that i can offer people and people do like to like you could potentially promote that as like a thing of now if it's only for your alpha people then maybe not but that could be an advantage of being on the insider circle is like you're gonna hear from me periodically um yep. yeah totally you know. I-, I think i'm gonna
0: open it up to everyone eventually definitely when the alpha ends but maybe even before then like we'll see like i like that it's an exclusive thing right now but I'll- Probably will end up opening it up later. Like it was when we were building briefs, we had like a you know briefs update podcast, and it was like really handy and useful just to just be able to sit down at the end of the day and be like what did we get done today? And we would just like very quickly chat through it, and then it's like everyone got an update, and it was it was cool. Plus, I think podcast builds like a relationship. Your voice, I think, people get to come to recognize it
1: and just have a little bit more affinity towards you. So, I think it's a nice medium. Nice. Yeah, and it's a little bit more opt in, like. People can get funny about email, frequent email updates, where they feel like you're, you know, if they have other issues going on with their inbox and they see one from you, they can start to get this negative association of like Ben's always spamming me. But this is more of like a they can opt into the feed and they can listen if they want or they don't have to, and it's less. uh, It's not another yet another email. I have a nice feeling when I open my podcast player. I'm like, ooh, I'm
0: gonna listen to something fun, and so it's nice to be in that context as opposed to like probably like your work context. Mm Kind of just nice. Hmm that's very interesting i might have to yeah. steal that
1: one <laughs> and briefs is a good option for it it's a cool tool i remember looking at it back in the day when you when you talked first talked about it but i haven't yeah the way most people do it is
0: you can just record in voice memos on your phone and then be like share and you get a, a private a special email address that posts it and then like the subject line becomes the episode title and the body becomes the show notes and like we do audio processing on the file so it sounds good even from the phone mic and it's just like it just works well and it's kind of nice I, I'm, I'm happy with it i haven't i haven't touched the product in a long time but like signing up again as a customer i was like oh
1: yeah this is this is pretty slick so this is a service you keep running is it like on heroku or something or is it it is like- i
0: mean we have customers like it's yeah. it's
1: profitable so <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs>
0: like slightly we don't do much with it so it doesn't it hasn't been growing but it's there are people that are using it still so that's cool and we just got a new customer and it's me <laughs> <laughs> you paying yourself uh technically yes <laughs> it, it goes into our uh codecation account which is what pays for the, the, you know, the codecations to generate the new products. One other thing, this is kind of a bigger topic. You and I have touched on this before. So one thing that's been happening, which is extremely flattering and cool, is that people, have. I've had a couple people, actually I think it's three or four people, have reached out and said, hey, if you're interested in some seed funding, like, let me know. Our answer from the beginning has been like, no, no, we like we we're good. Like we all have some savings and we can bootstrap this and all that, and it's nice to retain all the control and all, and everything, but it just keeps happening. And every time we have like kind of like a short conversation where it's like, hmm, you know, we there's there are different ways of raising money these days, and it's not all like, you know, moonshot EVC VC stuff. It's the thing that's
1: on my on my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Every legitimate outreach you get seems like another just another nudge towards like people are really interested in throwing money at me for this it's kind of it's kind of hard to ignore right. it right right it's like here's an yeah. email that says do you want money
0: and like yes you're trading money for a different thing but it's also like well money would be useful we're working on a, a multi-week spike of a native app it's like wow c plus is hard we might want to like get some c plus plus consulting from an expert granted we have some pre-sales revenue which is awesome So like we don't need it now but it's like yeah i mean money is an accelerant it's
1: it has some useful stuff has some useful properties, so so I guess like it what what you need to probably think through is balancing like how much are you three willing to invest, and I don't know if you've like actually transferred cash into a business account yet, and said like this is our capitalization, and we have this bucket of money to spend, and really like figuring out what's my what's the most I'm willing to put in of personal capital, and then how much do we need how much can how lean can we afford to go before we get enough traction to potentially get a better valuation than you could get right now i feel like that's sort of the that's sort of the balance like it's not necessarily the best call to wait a while until you know, after launch and after customers and all that to raise funding if you feel like you're going to need like that capital is really going to come in handy to pay for consulting or whatever to accelerate building the product i think it's it's not It's not a clear decision one way or another. Totally,
0: yeah. I'm still leaning heavily into no. The idea of having outside investors feels like to me like it ramps up the stress. Because like you want to raise from helpful, connected, influential people ideally, right? So it's like, okay, now we're not indebted, but like there are all these influential people that are expecting us to do well and to, you know, so it's, to me, it just ramps up the intensity and... Like I like that we are in control of the destiny fully. So that's like, yeah, if this if this doesn't work, it's just us. You know, it's like it's like it would be a bummer. I don't want it to fail. I'm gonna try to make sure it doesn't fail. But it's like I like where the stakes are right now. It feels like doubling down pretty hard to take investment.
1: Yeah. That was actually an interesting topic that Rob talked about in his MicroConf talk, which I don't know if that'll go public in a while or not, but the video of it. But he talked to a few founders, I think, because one of the one of the central themes of his talk was being at Drip. And Drip is now like a funded company because it's part of Lead Pages. And what's it like being in an environment where you've received funding? And I think you talked to a few founders who've done like uh, like uh, Jordan from Cart Hook and, and some of the others who've done more of like the not traditional VC, but indie VC type of angel funding. And some people are like, yep, it's all great. Like now I have these advisors and it's, you know, I'm enjoying it. And others are like, it's terrible. I now feel all this pressure on myself because I have other people's money. And so I think it depends on your personality as a founder too. And I suspect that I would be pretty firmly in the camp of like this is someone else's money. I need to protect it with all I've got and I can't, you know, be frivolous. And now now it's really serious and not just my own money I'm risking. But I think it just varies from person to person, you know, about how how it affects your psychology.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's a thing to like kind of continually evaluate because the circumstances will just keep changing there may be a point where suddenly it's like ooh you know 200 grand right now would make a huge difference f- for reasons xyz right now it doesn't feel like it like we're not cash strapped at all where it's like mostly what we need is uh, our own time which we are able to pay for currently hopefully that will last
1: it's good to keep on the table though i think
0: totally i just side. love i don't know man i just love the idea of being able to keep it really flexible and like decide like yeah, we're going to optimize for this thing and it's not massive profitability.
1: Yeah, you can choose to push hard and make it very profitable or not, but that's just retaining that control I think is is obviously an ideal state if you can hold on to it. Yeah. So,
0: I'm I'm reluctant to give that up. That's that's my overriding thing right now, so I don't want to forget that.
1: Mhm. Yep.
0: So, that's it for me, I think.
1: Cool. I think yeah. that's it for me as well. Cool.
0: Well, you know what? It's always good talking to you. You too, man. Yeah. yeah it's fun it's nice that we get to do our therapy uh in front of everybody (laughs) it's
1: basically what it is now we get to do our therapy
0: and turn it into like something useful yeah
1: hopefully others can get hopefully useful benefits (laughs) yeah Yeah, exactly
0: all right uh if people wanted our therapy uh session notes where would they go to
1: Our therapy notes can be found at artofproductpodcast.com thank you for listening thank you
0: headlamps man ah yeah i need to don't get on that headlamp. not plane. get a headlamp and <laughs> I, I, rec bring both bring your flashlight and your headlamp and use what the flashlight for an hour and then put your headlamp on and, and okay. thank me later
1: yeah yeah i figured like maybe flashlight might be cool if you're like if you're needing to like rummage through something and you need to like kind of twist it around a little bit but i don't know the headlamp it seems it's, I, i'm sold i'm sold on that i was like good. is this going to be just like a really uh geeky way to produce light but no i think i think it's probably utility Two recommendation two recommendations are you post-looting
0: by the way uh yeah i'm post-looting are you cool me too um two recommendations one uh get one that has a red light mode okay because yeah um basically like my thing has a option where it's like it's like these like dim red leds Mm -hmm. because like once your night vision adjusts the default headlight state state is like really bright Mm, Uh, and so you don't really need or want that it's yep. nice to, like, have, like, a really low light mode. Like, you wake up in the middle of the night and you, like, turn your thing on and it doesn't yep. blind you. And yep. then the other thing is um, don't look at people in the face. <laughs> okay. Because you will blind them. You will blind them, yeah. <laughs> okay. So when you're in headlamp mode, you have to kind of, like, look at look at their feet. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. A, Good. Good proper headlamp etiquette.
1: Um, oh, one other post-loop note. Have you... So have you ever rode before? Uh, yeah, I did, actually. Did you? Did you enjoy yeah. it? Um, I did mixed mixed feelings yeah overall i thought it was really it's pretty cool though nice i've got a friend who's super into it um has just started like just did like an initial class on it and started doing it and he's been working on me convincing me to give it a try and i just um i just went with him to the to the clubhouse and sat on an erg and uh mm-hmm. did like 45 minutes on there and he took like he trained me sort of on the basic form and then uh and then we did a 2000 meter um mm. uh simulation basically and uh and like he pushed me pretty hard and man that's a good workout <laughs> oh yeah for sure it's brutal also two thousand meters for
0: like your first row is a ton as a yeah slave i was driver. Like,
1: this is the best work well he was like okay i'm gonna show you some technique and then i don't want you to come out of here feeling like you know you didn't really get any real work done so yeah we can, uh,
0: wow you can do one of these that's cool yeah, no, I, so I, I did a season, there's a rowing club around here and mm-hmm. uh, I did like a seven or eight week season uh, mm-hmm. with a team and it's, it's a cool experience. Like being out in the water, it, like yeah. erging sucks, but being yeah. on the water, that's cool. Yeah. Like I would go in the evening, it's like we, our, I think we started practice at like seven and it's mm-hmm. so like the sun was going down and you're out on the river and it's beautiful mm-hmm. and like I'm seeing a like a, the city from a different vantage point and when the, like the team gets in kind of like a nice groove, it just, it feels great. Yeah. Um, and also, it doesn't hurt that as tall people, we're just
1: naturally better at it. Right. That's what so, uh, he was demonstrating to me. Like we were we were side by side. I was matching his cadence and then he mm-hmm. was we were watching our like our power curves and he was like, see how much more output you're doing just because of those extra five or ten inches that you have mm-hmm. on your stroke. So, mm-hmm. I yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it's natural I'm, advantages. <laughs> totally.
0: I'm a sucker for like sports where I have a natural unfair advantage. <laughs> yeah. And rowing is definitely one of them. Yeah. So. It's that's fun too. You'll be yeah. in demand for any basically any t- team that is
1: looking for people. Right. Yeah, I'm sort of like the the coach that he's been working with um is like a very I've just talked to him on the phone once and I'm going to go out on Saturday and actually, you know, be coached by him. Um mm-hmm. but uh he's cool. he's very like eager to get people more people involved. I think the club here is like 75% women. So he mm. just has, he has trouble like recruiting males in the ideal age range. Like there's a lot of older folks and, and, mm. um, and then there's some, I think there are some like, um, high school, college age, uh, people out there too. So like people in like the, you know, early thirties, young, late twenties age range who are mm-hmm. in my height range, I think he's going to be, I, he sounds very excited. So mm-hmm. uh, it. Yeah. as they say, you can't coach height right <laughs> Yeah. so yeah yeah get the raw materials yeah so and i'm i'm think this could be i mean in my research it's like this is rowing is said to be like one of the most physically demanding sports just because it's such a full body experience so it is
0: yeah it will definitely wreck you pretty well yeah and there's this like insane kind of masochism in rowing mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. it's just like it's, it's all about the suffering in a way yeah, because it's mostly like which team can suffer the most for the longest you win the race <laughs> yeah. like technique definitely matters a ton. But like you also have to suffer. Yeah. Yep. Greg, there's a great quote from Greg Lamond, the cyclist. Mm-hmm. And he says uh, it never gets easier. You just get there faster.
1: Yeah. That's, well, that's I, I think he's my friend has mentioned that quote, too, because he's like it's even the people who are who are really experienced in advance. They're still like when they get off the boat, they're like nearly breathless because oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know they could they could pull back and match the speed of a less experienced boat and not be as um spent but then mm-hmm. but you, you never do that you always push yourself as fast as you can of course so. it's, it's yet another treadmill you can jump on <laughs> yep yep <laughs>
0: yep cool well i'm looking forward to hearing some rowing updates yeah we'll see how it goes um nice yeah. and hearing about your your destroyed hands Are mm-hmm. your hands all right after the after
1: the erg um yeah the sorry, erg doesn't yeah, I had my wedding ring on for part of the time, which was a big mistake. Um, mm-hmm. So I have like a blister forming on that finger. Otherwise, there my hands are okay right now. But uh, <coughs> the erg is a bit different because you don't rotate the blade. Yeah.
0: Um, but once you're out in the water, you'll be just, uh, rotating the 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 thing, and so it it gets nastier. Yeah. Yeah. But cool. I'm looking forward to hear how you what you think.
1: Yeah, we'll see how I hold up.
0: <laughs> All righty, I gotta run and pack some camping gear, including All a right, headlamp. Oh, cool. All right. All right. Good chatting. You too, man. Bye-bye. Bye.